This season of The Witch Wave is brought to you in part by Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab. Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab is a fragrance house specializing in body and household blends with a dark, romantic, gothic tone. Over the years, they've collaborated with some of my very favorite creative visionaries, including Neil Gaiman, Jim Jarmusch, the Jim Henson Company, and most recently, Junji Ito. They continually return to inspirations drawn from witchcraft, paganism, and mythology, and they also have a sister store called Twilight Alchemy Lab, which creates oils blended and consecrated specifically for ritual use. The lab recently released their annual Halloween perfume collection, a limited edition series which includes scents inspired by folklore accounts of lycanthropy. Customer reviews of their products can be found at the fanrunbpal.org web forum, and you can check out all of their perfumes and other enchanting concoctions over at blackphoenixalchemylab.com. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Snowy Owl Tea. Snowy Owl Tea is unique handcrafted tea made with real fruit, fresh ground whole spices, full leaf teas, and blossoms. It's created with your health and comfort in mind using 100% biodegradable tea bags, and it comes in the most splendid prismatic packaging with whimsical illustrations that charm and delight. I am obsessed with Snowy Owl Tea, especially my favorite seasonal blend, Ginger Snapped, which is back for cozy season, and I am so excited and I plan on stocking up. It tastes like gingerbread and it is the best. This spooky season, Snowy Owl Tea is also offering goat, a toasted pumpkin and pumpkin seed tea featuring the world's cutest baby goat on the label, and Fancy AF, Fig Rose Oolong Tea, which stars puppies having a tea party. They are also currently offering peppermint bark tea for the holidays, and of course, they have their year-round blends like the delicious warm hearth tea with hibiscus and chai spices, and limited edition blends like their wonderfully witchy Midnight Moon, which is an Earl Grey with lavender and vanilla, and it is so good. So go on and order your scrumptious Snowy Owl Tea today at snowyowltea.com and be sure to use code WITCH for 10% off your order. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave.
Hello and welcome to the Witch Wave. Hooray, it is October and so much has been happening this month and there is so much more to come. Quickly, if you're listening to this episode on the day it comes out, which is Wednesday, October 25th, I am leading the monthly virtual ritual for Witchwave Patreon backers tonight, and we're going to be focusing on Scorpio season and Lilith. Yes, one of my favorites, and I hope you can make it. It's going to be a really tasty one. And it will be recorded as always and available for 30 days if you can't make it live. So do join us over at patreon.com slash witchwave if you haven't done so already. And for the general public, on Monday, October 30th, Jonica Stuckey and I will be leading a Samhain workshop and we'll be focusing on ancestor magic and traversing the underworld together. So do sign up for that. There's a link in my Instagram bio at Phantasmophile and in the events section of pamgrossman.com as well. So speaking of all the things that are going on this month, You know I am obsessed with the relationship between creativity and magic, which is why I'm currently writing a whole book about the topic. But one of the things that's been so astonishing and truly wonderful to witness is the way in which major institutions have slowly but surely begun to embrace occult subject matter. And currently... There are so many art exhibitions up right now which touch on this somehow, and I'll tell you about some of them in just a moment. But I gotta tell you, when I was a teenager in suburban New Jersey in the 90s, reading obsessively about witchy artists like Remedios Varro and Leonora Carrington and Leonor Feeney, no one knew who the fuck they were or even seemed to care. Okay, well, obviously that's not entirely true because scholars like Whitney Chadwick and Susan Aberth were writing the books that I was reading about these artists. But esoteric artwork was by and large ignored by academia and museums. Obviously a few exceptions there, but generally speaking, I'm saying this was embarrassing content and it was certainly not desirable or not considered legitimate or important enough to study and celebrate. I remember special ordering Janet A. Kaplan's book, Unexpected Journeys, The Art and Life of Remedios Varro, from my library and checking it out and loving it so much that my dad ended up asking the library if he could buy their copy from them for me because there was just no other way to get this book at the time. Remember, this was like before really Amazon.com was what it was and eBay was maybe, maybe burgeoning. But this book was impossible to track down otherwise for me. And because this book had been barely looked at in the years that it was in their collection, the library said yes. And I still own that copy to this day with the little card catalog card in the back. 
But that just goes to show you how undervalued this book was and how undervalued Varro's work was at the time. Now, as I speak, there is a retrospective of her work at the Art Institute of Chicago right now, which I'm dying to get to. And her work is on view in the permanent collection of MoMA, and it's been shown at the Met, and she's had retrospectives in Mexico City, and et cetera, et cetera. And right now, if you're in New York City, you can see one of her paintings alongside the work of so many other visionary female artists like Leonora Carrington, Agnes Pelton, Hilma Off Clint, Emma Kuntz, Ethel Calhoun, and so many more as part of the Judy Chicago retrospective that's up now at the New Museum. So just to explain, in addition to Judy Chicago showing her own glorious work, and it is so glorious and so groundbreaking and deeply magical in its own right, Chicago curated this entire floor of the museum for this exhibition called The City of Ladies. And I don't even want to say too much about it because you should just go and experience it for yourself if you can, but my jaw was on the floor seeing the way that Chicago curated this exhibition because it was done with such beauty and such devotion and such overtly feminine colors and symbolism that I honestly felt that I was in paradise. It was so far from the usual white cube aesthetics that the art world usually frames work within and seeing these works by these ingenious, magical women and non-binary artists celebrated with such a distinctly opulent and sacred perspective was so moving to me. I got emotional. Trust me, please, you, you have to see it if you can. It is, it is groundbreaking, it is history-making, and it is just such an exquisite pleasure. But these two shows, the Remedios Varro show in Chicago and the Judy Chicago show here in New York City, are just two examples of the magical artwork that you can see in person right now. A couple weekends ago, I co-curated the Occult Humanities Conference at NYU for the fifth time with my dear friend and frequent occult collaborator, Jesse Bransford. And that was paradise in its own right, but I, I digress. I'll, I'll just go on way too long if I start telling you about it. It was such a treasure of a weekend. But the Monday after the conference, a group of us met up at the Whitney Museum to see the Harry Smith show, which is up right now. And if you don't know who Harry Smith is, well, you got to get on that. Maybe I'll get someone on the podcast to talk about him, but there's a new biography about him called Cosmic Scholar. And in short, Harry Smith was a polymath working, you know, primarily in like the 60s and 70s, who is perhaps best known for his supremely magical animated films and for putting together an anthology of folk music, which went on to influence Bob Dylan and arguably spark the folk revival of the 1960s. 
Anyhow, Smith's occult drawings and collections of paper airplanes and string games and so on, plus a lot of his films, are featured in the exhibition. And I got to show one of Smith's drawings myself in my 2016 art show, Language of the Birds, Occult and Art. And at the time, he was considered kind of a deep cut that only art nerds and film nerds and occult devotees like me adored or even knew about. But now there's a whole exhibition about him at the Whitney Museum, and rightly fucking so. My point is, you know, I remember when the Hilma off Clint show was up at the Guggenheim a few years back, and that felt like this real sea change moment. Because even though there were certainly esoteric art shows happening well before that, it seemed to herald this new age of appreciation of overtly spiritual artwork on this mass scale. And for me, this goes hand in hand with the ever-growing popularity of witchcraft and magic and esoterica overall, which, as I've said many times before, has had other waves and other peaks and valleys over the years, but it really seems like the momentum for this latest wave of it just isn't slowing down. And in fact, it's it seems to be expanding and growing, and it's incredibly exhilarating to be part of. Because these are alternative systems which have their own values and their own aesthetics and which often embrace traditionally marginalized concepts like intuition, craft, the supernatural, femininity. And I find it so heartening that in my lifetime, I've witnessed this happen, this blossoming, this explosion, this unfurling of interest and support for the esoteric. And I'm so thrilled that the brilliant creators and thinkers who have specialized in these topics are finally getting their due. Today's guest, Brie Luna, is someone whose work has excited me from the jump for a lot of the reasons that I'm talking about. And that's partially why she was my first ever guest on The Witch Wave back in 2017, because Brie is a witch who uses artistry and very distinct aesthetics, very feminine, dark, glamorous aesthetics and color and rich beauty to express and share her magic. And so I am thrilled to have her back on the podcast in celebration of her brand new book. But before we get to that, First, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches. Hi, Pam. This is Candy, and I'm here with my familiar Freya Fay, my little Heinz 57 Chihuahua Poodle mix. And so we have a question about the new and upcoming 2024 courses that are going to be taking place in England at Exeter University. This Exeter University is going to be offering courses on um, witchcraft and the occult. So my question is, what do you know about this? And it seems super, super cool. I know there's courses in Texas, but 
England just seems so much older and, I don't know, more Harry Potter-ish. <laughs> um, so what do you know about this? Have you done research on it yet? I'm very, very excited to hear your take on it. Bye. Blessed be. Hi, Candy. Thank you so much for your message. And I can't even begin to tell you how much excitement there is about this program at Exeter. I've gotten so many emails and DMs about it, and I was even interviewed by the New York Times about it. The headline for the article is, A UK university will confer a new title, a master's degree in the occult. So if you want to Google that and check out the whole article, please do so. And I'm quoted in there alongside lots of brilliant folks, though, as ever, I talked to the reporter for a pretty long time and only one of my quotes made it in there, as is so often the case with these things. So I'm really happy to be given the opportunity to expand my thoughts on it here. Off the bat, I'm thrilled that Exeter is offering this degree. And as I said earlier in this episode and in the article, it is very gratifying to see that major institutions are taking occult subject matter seriously and to that end are investing money and resources in these topics because when a university like Exeter chooses to invest in a degree like this, it's not only fabulous for the students, it is fabulous for the professors and the scholars who have been specializing in these topics often for decades, but so often haven't been funded or granted publications or other support of their work. So it's a triumph for the scholars as much as it is for the prospective students. And as I've said, you know, the people who study the occult, whether in this case that's the professors or the students, they don't necessarily have a belief in magic themselves, nor do I think they need to have that belief, because the fact of the matter is, human beings cross-culturally have had a deep relationship with magic and mysticism and ritual for centuries, and that alone makes this topic important from a cultural and historical perspective. I mean, end of story right there, as far as I'm concerned. But that said, I happen to know that some of these professors and students have their own magical practices and their own personal relationship to the material. And it's up to each of them on an individual basis to figure out how to reconcile these dual roles as scholars and as practitioners or believers. Because to the best of my knowledge, these degrees and classes are not instructing the students in how to practice various magical modalities. They're simply educating the students about the history and the culture of the occult. So it's not Hogwarts in that way. It's not teaching students how to make magic. However... Nothing is stopping those students from taking what they learn and applying it to their own practice in private if they so choose. But there is that separation, which seems like an obvious point to make, but it feels important to mention nonetheless. So if you're looking for classes in witchcraft, 
in the in the doing of witchcraft as opposed to the history of witchcraft for example you're probably not going to find it at one of these universities you're probably going to have to study from other folks many of whom i have featured on the witch wave podcast and you're right candy there are other universities which have been offering at least classes in occult history or the anthropology of magic or witchcraft culture or the history of mysticism and and so on for years and i know because i've guest taught and guest lectured at several of them so just a quick google at whatever university you might want to study at and you know just looking and seeing if they have a course in the history of witchcraft or the history of the witch or you know the history of ritual or whatever it is can help you find those classes at at all these different colleges But I do want to mention just a couple of schools that I know have these areas of specialty in case people want to dive deeper. Certainly, you can take all kinds of classes and coursework at the Pacifica Institute. Now, they more have a specialty in mythology and archetypes and Jungian thought, uh, but they are worth mentioning in this conversation. I would also mention at Rice University, they offer a certificate in what they call their GEM program, G-E-M, that stands for Gnosticism, Esotericism, and Mysticism. And that certificate is offered through their Religious Studies program. Again, that's Rice University in Texas. And the University of Amsterdam offers what they call a specialization in Western Esotericism through their Religious Studies program as well. But I would not be surprised if more and more universities follow suit. As I said, a lot of them certainly already have classes about magic, witchcraft, the occult, and so on. But in terms of actual degrees or certificates or specializations, I think this field is only going to expand as these topics have grown in popularity and gained wider acceptance as being legitimate areas of scholarship. And the last thing I just want to add is that when I was a student at NYU, I chose to major in cultural anthropology and triple minor in religious studies, art history, and creative writing. And that was essentially me trying to invent my own path of study that included topics of magic and mythology and consciousness and symbolism and ritual and and all of it. And I was able to find these glimmers of magic in doing so even back then. Some glimmers I found in a class on alchemy. Some glimmers I found in my art history surveys, particularly around modern art and surrealism. Some glimmers I found in my anthropology of religion classes and so on. And I have zero regrets about that path of study because I was able to form this kind of constellation of these really incredible classes and readings Even back then, and we're talking, this was back in uh, 1999 through 2003 when I was an undergrad. But man, oh man, would I have loved being able to specialize in esotericism back then. And that's basically what I was trying to do without even having that language for it at the time. 
So I think that students today are so lucky and these courses are being offered more frequently and I'm truly, truly excited by how much this is going to further expand the field. Thank you so much for your question, Candy, and sending lots of good magic to you and your familiar. Now, on to my guest. Brie Luna is the founder of The Hoodwitch, a web platform and a lifestyle brand dedicated to empowering, educating, and cultivating community through meaningful rituals supporting self-care and wellness. Luna is devoted to offering everyday magic for the modern mystic through her art and is an advocate for the use of traditional healing practices to address modern-day challenges. Her new book, Blood, Sex, Magic, comes out on Halloween, and it is a gorgeous visual grimoire teeming with spells, photography, artwork, and personal anecdotes meant to inspire the reader's own witchcraft and self-expression. Brie and her work have been featured internationally and in major publications including Vogue, ID, and the New York Times, and on a personal note, Brie has been a friend and collaborator of mine for years, so it is a true joy to have her back on the show. Brie joined me from her home via Zoom. Brie Luna, welcome back to the Witch Wave. Hi. Hi. I'm so happy to see your beautiful face on my screen right now. And for such a beautiful reason, you have a brand new book that is about to come out, and I could not be happier for you. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I am so excited. And I was laughing as I was getting ready for this interview today. I was your first guest, and it was around Halloween time. And I'm just so excited to be releasing my book on Halloween. And I feel like this couldn't be more aligned. We have like Scorpio season and I'm like, that's one of my favorite seasons and Halloween, obvious reasons. I love (laughs) Halloween. (laughs) So I'm excited. I'm so excited to have you. And I was thinking the same exact thing. I was like, Brie, who was my first guest ever on the Witch Wave, my lucky charm. You came back for a bonus episode for our Patreon listeners. I think within the last couple years, too, though, with the pandemic, it is so hard for me to keep track of time. But it is so wonderful to have you back. And I feel like because you and I are friends and because you and I have done ritual together in circle and so on, I've known a little bit about this book. You get it pretty close to your chest, but I've known a little bit that you've been working on this and percolating it. And as a fan of yours, but also as your friend, I am just so overjoyed for you that we are here in this moment to celebrate the culmination of all of your hard work and all of your magic. So just a huge, huge, huge bravo to you. Thank you so much. You're going to make me cry. And this is only like the first few minutes in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because with the book, no one knew that I was writing it. 
it took me roughly about two and a half, almost three years. And I really just kept it very, as you said, close to my chest. I was really quiet. I didn't even tell my family about it, but this happened around the pandemic time, you know? So this really was something that challenged me because during the pandemic, we didn't know what was going on. We Mm. didn't know what was going to happen, our health, our families being so isolated and disconnected. And for us, my fondest memory that I even have prior to this book, we went to upstate New York and we were all together like in ceremony and it was so beautiful. And having that with all of my like girlfriends and coven mates and sisters, it was my fondest memory. And then we left upstate New York and we we're in a lockdown. (laughs) Mm. So, and then I got offered this book deal and yeah, I mean, that was, it feels like so long ago. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I would have to imagine that working on this book during the pandemic, maybe some of that incubation energy and that cocoon energy and that hermit energy would have helped you focus a little bit. Is that a fair assumption? I do think that being at home and having a lot of time to really reflect and deepen my spiritual practice, connecting to my ancestors, connecting to myself, really drawing strength from places I never even knew were imaginable. It's like with writing a book, you are very much in that liminal space. Yes, I was really uncomfortable, you know, with writing this because It's a huge vulnerability. And I think for a lot of my readers and people who have followed me, I'm going to be celebrating the Hood Witch's anniversary for 10 years. So congratulations. And that's going to be this year. Mm. So I think that most people, they don't know my private life. I don't talk about my family. They only know me, you know, where it's like on Instagram, like bits that I'm sharing or astrology or talking about a ritual or full moon, but I've never really delved into who is Brie? Who am I? You know, I have like baby photos and I'm talking about my son. I'm talking about my mom and my grandmother. So it's very vulnerable. Yes. Being away in solitude and in isolation, it really does make you start to go deeper within. Yeah. You know, I was so overjoyed to see how personal this book is, to see all the photos from your life, to hear more of the stories that, again, I've known some of them as your friend, but to really get to learn about your family and some of your relationships, some of your business partnerships that you've had all kinds of ups and downs with. You really reveal a lot in this book and it makes it so much more personal. I often say the most potent magic is the most personal magic. And so I think that sharing all of those details of your life and sharing how magic has been with you since day one is just going to help the reader feel braver in their own lives because we all have magic that we can tap into. And as long as we trust ourselves and feel empowered to know that our own stories have really deep magic in them, that's the way that we can move forward as witches. So I think you're really leading by example here. Thank you so much. I really wanted to open myself up I think that it was long overdue. You know, when you're writing a book, 
I still feel like I can keep going. You know, there's still more that I'm like, oh, I left that part out or I don't want to share that much of my, I don't, but I do think that being vulnerable is a form of magic in and of itself. And putting yourself out there and allowing yourself to transmute that energy from fear to empowerment and being able to have people relate to you. That's more than enough than I even intended. I'm really excited to put this out into the world. I'm nervous and I just really want to see what happens. I guess that's like really the biggest form of magic. It's like that lived experience, that practice, you know, And, and like I said, that vulnerability where you're like, okay, well, here I go. I'm leaping into the unknown and I'll just go with the flow and, you know, see what happens. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I'm so (laughs) excited to see what happens too. Now, listen, you have called this book Blood Sex Magic, and the book is divided into those three sections as well. Since you've brought up your family already, I want to start by talking about the blood component, which is your ancestral line, particularly, as you've mentioned, the magic that you learned from your grandmothers. Would you mind, I know you write about it extensively in the book, but for our listeners, just sharing a few tidbits about your two grandmothers and describing them to us because they are such characters and so present throughout this book. So... I really wanted to ensure that I paid homage to my grandmothers who were the matriarchs of our family. My mom's mother, it's a complicated relationship. My grandma, Sylvia, she was Mexican and native, and she's just such a beautiful and fiery and powerful force that still lives within me and throughout all of the women in my family. She's so strong and her presence, you know, the things that she says, her witch, her her cleverness and her humor, those are all things that I still really cherish. I talk about my dad's mother, my grandmama, Althea, and I love her. She's a African-American woman from the South. Our southern roots come from Louisiana and come from Texas, Arkansas. So we have like deep southern conjure hoodoo roots. And for me, growing up and having her practice with hoodoo, it's like mostly obviously it's like word of mouth. It's passed down. These are stories. These are practices that you learn from your grandmothers and from your aunties. So For me to share bits of that in my book, even with like the red brick dust for protection, and I talk about my grandmother's cooking on New Year's Day with like the cornbread and collard greens and making sure you're eating your black eyed peas is like all of those for luck. And these are traditions that have been passed down. And these are things that get passed down through your family. So I really do talk about them being like these forces, you know, and really my guardian angels helping me and guiding me and shaping me into being the woman and mother and magician and creator that I am now. Yes, exactly. And I really love that you make the point that when you were younger, you thought both of your grandmothers maybe were being like superstitious. But as you got older, you realize that these are deep 
magical traditions that have been passed on, to your point, not necessarily through books or formal training, but they still get passed on through practice and through word of mouth. And I loved when you talked about your grandma Sylvia and how she was very protective against the evil eye, for example, and she hated gossip. And I was laughing reading about it because I was thinking about how you held this book so close to your chest. And I'm like, I wonder if she gets that from grandma Sylvia. Like, don't talk too much about something you're excited about because you don't want to attract the evil eye or something like that. Do you think that's a fair parallel I'm drawing? Absolutely. I mean, truly, I have learned this even from my own experience. But for my grandma, she'd be like, Mija, don't tell everybody your business and they're nosy and they're going to put their bad energy on it. And I would just be like, okay. I have had experiences, and I think all of us have, where, you know, you have some really great news and there's people who are not maybe excited for you or like they're envious. And sometimes, you know, it's conscious and sometimes it's unconscious energy directed towards you to mess up your plans, you know, and they don't want to see you successful or they don't want you to elevate beyond how they've perceived you or how they hold you. So I am always very conscious of sharing my good news. And I'm cognizant of who I share the information with. Are they really happy for you? Do you want to really put an unfinished product for prying eyes on the internet? And I think this just goes for any magical practice. Some things need to be worked in secret and in silent. And then you pop out and you show everyone the finished product. You're like, look what I made. (laughs) But yeah, my grandmother was really anti-chismosa, which is like a gossiper. Yes. You guys are going to read about that in the book because my grandmother is so funny. And I can just hear her even laughing now where she's like, stop telling all of our business. (laughs) But (laughs) she really was a real firecracker. And I always say she's like a tornado. I don't know. She was so tiny, too. So she was like four foot 11. Yes. And I mean, she could scare the shit out of people. Like she was really a force of nature to be reckoned with. Yes. I love a tiny dynamo. And your grandmama, Althea. I love the ways in which you talk about how beauty was a big part of her rituals as well. And one of the sections, it's near the end of the book, so spoiler alert, but one of the sections I loved reading about so much was your experience of getting your nails done with her. And anybody who's a fan of yours knows that you have these incredible nails that are just works of art. art. (laughs) Yeah, they really are, but they're such a signature of yours. And I loved hearing about how that comes from a long tradition and a lot of memories with your grandmama. I'm a Taurus star sign. So I'm very Venusian. I love beauty and aesthetic and pretty stuff, right? So I wanted to incorporate some element of my nail art and why it's so meaningful to me and how it is a form of my self-expression and where that came from and how it's honoring for me of my grandmother and my grandmama. For Black women, especially having an outlet with fashion, with getting ready even for like church on Sunday and like showing out, having a big hat and having, you know, a colorful suit or outfit, you know, really getting dolled up as my grandmother would call it, getting dolled up. She always had her nails done and she got them done in the same color. I'm not joking for probably about 30 years. 
up until she passed, same color of nail polish. It never changed. It never Mm -hmm. deviated. And I love that about her. And there's just something I love about like the old school of women. They really took getting their hair done every week, getting her nails done, going to the beauty shop. You know, that was a ritual. Yeah. So I, as a little girl, would go with my mom, with my sister, with my grandmama. We'd all go to the nail shop and we'd get our nails done and we'd go have lunch. Her and my mom would like gossip and talk. And that was one of my favorite rituals still to this day. One of my rituals that means a lot to me because I can look like shit. I can wear sweatpants and not wear makeup or whatever, you know, and have my hair in a mess. But I'm still going to go get my nails done. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I I just that little tidbit of self-care time makes me feel good. Yeah, I love that so much. And I just love the idea of your nails, which are such a signature, being a form of ancestral magic. It's a way that you're connecting with her. It's a way that you're connecting with your lineage. And of course, there's also like the glamour magic, glamour witch, color magic aspect of it too, which you write about so beautifully in the book as well. And I was so happy you did it because again, it's so personal and it's different than I think a lot of the other spell books and magic books that are out there. It's so true. And that's why I was saying I was like, I don't want anyone to and this is something that has historically happened to me with having a very different type of platform. So like when I started doing Hoodwitch, there weren't other women of color witches that were in a space that we were in be that at that time, like on social media. Everyone sort of like had their own niche. Like when we're looking at like witchcraft and a lot of it was pagan revolving around like Wicca or, Mm -hmm. you know, very Eurocentric standards of what magic and what witchcraft looked like. Okay. So for me, really stepping in and creating a space where I was honoring my traditions, my beauty rituals. To some people, they wanted to minimize me into being like, oh, that's just vanity or that's just aesthetic. And I'm like, Yeah, but what do you think magic? There's a huge component. If I don't love myself, if I'm not honoring what is authentic to me, what type of magical practitioner am I? Mm. I think that it was so important for me in this book to be authentic to my culture, to myself, to my grandmother, to my traditions, to things that were meaningful to me. Ah, yes. And to put it in your own words, you write in the book, A witch is not something that you become. It is who you are and what you have always been. And then you write, the witch embodies autonomy over self and soul. And to see you, this really powerful, incredibly gifted person, honoring herself, honoring your own gifts, your own style, your own talent, your own ancestral line is so empowering for, I think, anybody to witness. So I'm really grateful for it. Thank you so much. And I feel really good about this book. I feel excited. I'm ready to like put out another book. I was like, I don't want to stop now. I want to keep going because I think you look back on the time from when you started and you look back and you're reflecting on it now. And for me to see the finished product, I'm like, wow, this is my baby. I really did this. Like I really created this and I want to keep going. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Well, we're going to keep going in just a moment. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you, as it so often is, by the marvelous Mithras Candle. 
Fall is here, and with the cool autumn air and darkening evenings comes a radiant tool for creating the perfect sacred setting or cozy moment. Of course, I'm talking about Mithras candles. These pure beeswax lights are inspired by the modern science of photobiology, along with ancient pagan practices and cosmic mysteries. Mithras candles are handmade by my mythic and scientific pals in Philadelphia and come in traditional golden yellow and sensual black hues with other colors and collaborations popping up seasonally. I'm telling you, my friends, you will be hooked like I am once you experience the gorgeous Byzantine hand-dripped style of a Mithras candle and their honeyed floral aroma. Mm. Go to MithrasCandle.com to pick up the perfect glowing addition to your magical moments. And Witchwave listeners get 23% off their first order using offer code WITCH at checkout. That's offer code WITCH at Amazon Magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com. That's code WITCH at MithrasCandle.com for 23% off your first order. The Witch Wave is sponsored by BetterHelp. Oh, my friends, there are so many times in my life when I want to do something that I know is good for me, like, I don't know, getting to bed on time, getting exercise, eating well, tackling a project head-on, whatever it is, but then anxiety, overwhelm, or spiraling thoughts start whirling around in my head and making it all so much harder for me to actually do. Do you ever feel like your brain is getting in its own way? Like you know what you should do, you know what's good for you, but you just can't bring yourself to do it? Ugh, the worst. However, therapy helps you figure out what's holding you back so that you can work for yourself instead of against yourself. Now, I've talked about therapy many, many times before, and I will continue to do so because I have been in therapy myself for decades, and gratefully so, and it has helped me get past so many of those sabotaging thoughts and fears so I can make the right choices for myself and move forward in helpful ways. It helps me get to the root cause of some of my negative thinking, and together with my therapist, I've been able to come up with coping mechanisms for when those thought goblins start to get in my way. And let's be clear, therapy isn't just for people going through major trauma or drama, though obviously it can be massively helpful for that too. But it can also be for those of us who are struggling with the day-to-day -day stresses of life. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. And I know that for me, I just wouldn't be able to be as effective of a writer, a podcaster, a partner, a friend without having a therapist that I know that I can talk to at a time that's designated just for me to process my own stress and emotions and focus on my own well-being. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. 
It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com witchwave today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash witchwave. I want to tell you about a brand new book called New Moon Magic by Risa Dickens and Amy Torok, who are the podcasters and writers that make one of my other favorite witch podcasts, Missing Witches. In New Moon Magic, Risa and Amy remind us that we don't need to buy a single thing to connect with our own phenomenal magic. New Moon Magic offers 13 essential practices for the modern witch, one for each new moon of the year, that will help you discover or rediscover your magic and nurture a witchcraft that creates instead of consumes. Each practice is paired with a witch who embodies the craft, including The Word with Terry Tempest Williams and Toni Morrison, The Circle with Audre Lorde, and The Garden with Mayumi Oda, and so many more. Through historical research, interviews, and the author's own stories, New Moon Magic offers wisdom and guidance from real witches past and present. It's available now wherever books are sold, and here's some exciting news just for you. Their publisher, North Atlantic Books, is offering listeners 30% off plus free shipping on New Moon Magic with code NEWMOON, all one word, at www.northatlanticbooks.com now through December 31st, 2023. This offer is limited to recipients with U.S.-based mailing addresses only, so if that describes you, then please go over to northatlanticbooks.com and order New Moon Magic for 30% off and free shipping with code NEWMOON today. Welcome to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Brie Luna. So, Brie, I would actually love for you to read the intro to Blood Sex Magic because the aesthetics of this book are utterly gorgeous, and I want to talk to you all about that. But one of the things I've always admired about you is that you are a beautiful writer. It's one of the things I love about your Instagram posts. It's one of the things that I love about when you post on the Hoodwitch site. And frankly, it's something that I don't think people give you enough credit for. You're a very beautiful person and you create beautiful images, but you're fucking smart and you're a really beautiful writer. So let's hear some of these words, please, please, please. Thank you for that. So I wanted to read my intro to my book. It's titled, I Am My Sister's Keeper. I am my sister's keeper, the witch, bruja, healer, mother, sister, daughter, lover, Artist, creative, bitch, wild woman, visionary, goddess, transcendent of time and space, reclaiming power and ancestral bloodlines of magic from the heavens and the earth. I come from dirt and blood, jewels and bones, moon and sun. I am my grandmother's secrets, hopes, and dreams. 
I adorn myself in light and shadows, but do not mistake my flesh nor my worldly appearance for vanity, for everything I do is deliberate. I walk in gratitude for the ones who've come before me. My vessel is ancient. The skin remembers being birthed through the cosmos and rising out of the depths of the sea. Do not mistake her softness, vulnerability, sensitivity, compassion, love, resilience, or silence for weakness. I am birth of fire and lava of death and decay, a huntress, a warrior, not a warrior. I am my sister's keeper. Fuck yes. So beautiful, Brie. I love it. And as soon as I read those words, I was like, here we go. And we talked about the blood section, the ancestral magic section. And I was so happy you rooted us in the where you come from, where your family comes from, who your ancestors are. But then you move us into the sex section. (laughs) Oh, yes. And the sex section was a little bit different than I expected and so much more like nuanced and multifaceted than I expected. I was really excited that you pretty early on bring up someone that I've been fascinated by for a long time. So I would love to hear more about Pascal Beverly Randolph and what he means to you and why you wanted to shout him out in the book. As a Black magician, a Black and brown woman, I feel like so many people are not familiar with him, but he was truly for the abolition of slavery, for one. Many people don't know this, but he taught freed slaves how to read. He practiced medicine, occultism, spiritualism. And this is something that to me, when I started reading about him and his ideas and the magic that, you know, being a trans medium for this era, it was just unheard of. So for me, living in this time period, I really connected deeply and wanted to share just about his magic and putting that into sex magic. That was huge. And honestly, it's so interesting because even with writing this book, I began sort of researching and delving into like, if he existed in this time, well, what about other like black spiritualists? Mm -hmm. What did that look like if it wasn't documented? And I started really wondering, I was like, this would be a really good movie. Yes. So I think that this is something that I kind of want to delve into further. But interesting little known fact, he was also like just very pro birth control too at Mm. a time where many women were living obviously like with very controlling partners and religion and husbands and things like that. So aside from being this very prolific and like forward thinking spiritual individual, you know, I I just I really wanted to put his work into the section of sex. I'm so glad that you did. And I thought he was perfect connective tissue between the blood section and the sex section because Mm -hmm. it is spiritual ancestral magic for you. He was also, as you write in the book, known for his pioneering sex magic beliefs and practices. You have a quote from him where he said, true sex power is God power. And absolutely. ah, That's incredibly powerful. What does that mean to you exactly? And what is sex magic to you? 
So in my personal practice, I really do believe that you can use sexual energy, be that alone or practicing with a partner or a group of people. Mm -hmm. Consensual sexual practice. Yes. But working with that energy, building up that sexual energy, when people are like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, your orgasm. Working with the energy, the climax, as you're building that up, your sexual energy. Some people, you know, could put it in terms very simplistic as, well, I can use my orgasm to manifest whatever I want. And it's like, all right, well, that's cool. You know, I'd be a billionaire by now if that was the case. <laughs> it is a practice. You are working with energy. Be that creative. I talk about like the sacral energy being a power center. For me, it's like sexual energy is creative energy. I really do believe that with your partners or solo, you can manifest ideas or you can manifest materialize things that you do want in your life. I know this sounds kind of vague, but I want people to read about it in my book too. <laughs> yes, that's totally, totally fair. We won't give too much away. There was something though that was a new phrase for me, which delighted me so in addition to writing about your life and your own experiences, you give us spells and you give us rituals and things that we can follow. And you do write about something called panty water. Oh my God. <laughs> and it yes. delighted me to no end. I had never heard of panty water before. Can you tell us just a little bit about what that is? Just a little I bit. I would be so honored to. So see, <laughs> this falls into the sex magic that we're talking about. And I know that everyone's going to have their own definition of sex magic, but the panty tea is very big in Latin America and the Caribbean. So all of my brujas already know what's up <laughs> when it comes to working with your panties and the vaginal fluid for men or like male identifying people. It would be your bodily fluids. Just put it that way. Whatever mm -hmm. you identify as. Mm -hmm. You're using your body fluids. Back in the day, fun story that's in my book, my grandfather always told me he called me Pinky. And he'd say, Pinky, I don't take no black coffee from single ladies. I never got it. I didn't know what that meant when I was a kid. You don't take black coffee from single ladies. Why? <laughs> and then as I got older, I realized he was talking about their period blood going into the coffee. <gasps> So it was a very well-known love spell, sex spell, domination spell that if a woman used her used panties and boiled them in a pot of water, she could put it in a tea, make her man's coffee. She could put it in his food, cook rice. They call it sweet rice. So you'd boil the rice and you put some sugar in it and you used your used panties with the vaginal secretions. It's a very real tradition. So using the menstrual blood in food and cooking in sauces, you put it in wine. But this goes into trickier territory where we get into binding magic. And I specifically and I explicitly tell my reader, do not bind yourself with a blood magic ritual to an abuser, mm -hmm. to someone who is physically or psychologically abusing you, someone who is cheating on you. I find that to be, you know, abusive if you're not in an open consensual relationship mm -hmm. that can be seen as a form of abuse. Don't bind yourself to these people. You don't want that. And I learned from an elder 
when you feel that you need to go to these realms to bind someone to you for their love and affection that they're not giving to you freely, you are already at their mercy. Mm. So the best sexual spells I enjoy are consensual Mm -hmm. with my partner. When you and your partner are aligned, even if they don't necessarily believe in the same things that you do, but they're like, all right, this is fun. I want to do it. You know, yeah, I'm going to learn from you. I'm going to explore your body. I want you to feel sexy and sensual and confident and like we can do this together. That to me is so beautiful and heightening and it's powerful. It's sexy. But sitting alone, don't do a love spell when you're crying and freaking out and feeling like shit because that's the energy that you're putting. And think about it. It's like this person who doesn't give a shit about you, treating you like shit, doesn't pay attention to you, isn't texting you back. Do you really want to like be at that person's mercy? Mm. Because energetically, you know, what you're putting out to them, sure, you can get their attention, but who's to say, is it going to be a positive loving attention or are you going to get more of the same? Yes. Yes. I think that's really wise. And I've taught a class in love magic myself, and I'm on the same page as you in terms of like, if it's not consensual, why would you want to do it anyway? I mean, that's just never been my style with magic in general, but I was happy that you made that point for sure. And I think love magic is really misunderstood. And I often think love magic isn't love magic. (laughs) Like it's control magic or attraction magic or arousal magic, but that's not love, right? (laughs) I think people need to understand the difference between sex, lust, love, And don't get me wrong, I'm not going to shade anybody's practice. If you feel empowered with doing love magic, good for you. You know what I mean? Like nobody's going to knock it. That's kind of like people who get on and they're like, I only believe in love and light magic and I don't do hexes. I'm not that witch. Mm. I know what my limitations are. I can show you from my lived experience and from my practice, from my elders' practices, Be cognizant of, you know, what you're doing, because I think a lot of times people really do reach that point of desperation. If you're working love magic out of a place of desperation, again, you are already at that person's mercy. You're not in control. Yeah. They're not crying over you over a candle, going to the botanica, dressing candles and doing a ritual in their room. You are. Yeah. (laughs) Who is really controlling who? Yep, exactly, exactly. On that note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. This season of The Witch Wave is brought to you in part by Sphere and Sundry, an astro-magical atelier where you can get expertly elected materia magica, oils, incense, bath salts, salves, inks, beauty oils, and more, which have been ritually crafted during rare powerful and benefic astrological configurations. And oh my word, I can tell you firsthand, this is the stuff. These formulas are chosen in accord with the strict requirements of the talismanic tradition outlined in the Picatrix and other ancient grimoires, meaning you can benefit from the power of amazing astrological transits, even when the stars haven't aligned. 
These are incredible tools for witches who are looking to embrace the manifestations and results of their spell work, especially the Luna in Cancer series. And I myself have the Luna in Cancer incense, and it is a dream to use for any kind of lunar magic. Venus Materia can be used for love, glamour, and attraction. Regulus for fame and recognition, Asclepius for healing and transformation, and Deneb Algedi for protection. I also used several of Spear and Sundry's magical products on site in Greece during our group rituals, and they were so potent and so exquisite. I can't say enough good things about them. Since 2018, Sphere and Sundry have been a key driver in the rising tide of popularity and interest in astrological magic, amassing over 5,000 five-star reviews and field reports on their website. Most orders ship within one business day, and Sphere and Sundry is also well known for their incredible customer service as they are their magical results, and I can attest to that as well. Learn more and get $10 off your first order at spearandsundry.com using the code WITCHWAVE. That's spearandsundry.com, S-P-H-E-R-E-A-N-D-S-U-N-D-R-Y.com and use code WITCHWAVE for $10 off your first order. Get grounded, aligned, and self-actualized in 2024 with the Many Moons Lunar Planner. This planner has so many devotees, and I count myself as one of them. All year long, the Many Moons Lunar Planner helps you live life mindfully and magically with monthly astrological and energy forecasts, lunar essays, tarot spreads, rituals, encouragements, and prompts that land right when you need them most. The 2024 edition features insights, essays, predictions, and more from intuitive creator and prior Witchwave guest Sarah Godestiner and many other special guests from the witching world and beyond, many of whom are also Witchwave alumni. Pre-order yours at moon-studio.co that's moon-studio.co or by clicking the link in the show notes get your 2024 many moons lunar planner today would you like even more witch wave do you wish that you could hear from me and my other magical guests on a weekly basis and what about doing monthly rituals with yours truly then come join me over on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus Witchwave Plus episodes, ad-free Witchwave episodes, and detailed show notes for all. I also lead a monthly online magical workshop, which you can attend live or watch the recording of at your convenience. Rewards for some tiers also include magical merch and contests where you can win witchly prizes each month, as well as early heads up about my other workshops before they sell out. And you can even sign up for the opportunity to work with me one-on-one. -on -one. 
and all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven where you can connect to a community of other wonderful Witch Wave witches around the world. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to patreon.com slash witchwave now and sign up. It's a magnificent way to get more magic in your life and to support the show. Thanks so much. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Brie Luna. So Brie, we talked about the three sections of this book. We talked a lot about blood. We talked a lot about sex. The magic part, I almost wonder if we should save some of that because I know you want to make sure people actually read the book. Is there anything before I ask you some other questions I'm excited to ask you that you want to just touch on with the magic section or do you want to keep it a mystery? I want the reader to know that the magic section of my book was very intentional. It's really about empowerment. I really want you to walk away from reading the magic section feeling empowered. And you don't have to do every spell word for word verbatim. I want you to utilize this as just another tool. If it works for you, fine. If you don't align with it, then that's fine too. But I want you to put your own seasoning on it (laughs) and take these practices and make them yours and work with that energy because the things that I share in my book are not things that I would not feel comfortable with the world knowing, obviously, which is why I put them into the book. (laughs) So I want you to put your own twist on it and don't follow it too tightly. Like there are specific traditions, yes, where there are rules, but for my book, I'm not too hyper-focused on prescriptive. Yeah. I'm not like, you have to do it this way. This is your practice. This is your magic. I want you to feel empowered. I want you to feel confident. I want you to feel good about yourself and discovering your journey, your path, and what's going to work for you. Mm, Beautifully said. Speaking of beautiful things, I now finally want to talk about how this book looks and feels because this is a grimoire and it looks different than any other magic book that I've seen before. It's fucking stylish as hell. It's very editorial. It's moody and lush and very Taurus, which I know you're our Taurus queen. Can you talk about how you wanted this book to look and how you wanted to be involved in conjuring those images? So interestingly enough, for many people who are familiar with my work and my website, I am a very visual person. I love visual storytelling. I love contemporary art. I have just really pulled because I love symbolism and I believe that symbolism speaks to people more than even just sitting and like reading through my book. It's like I wanted to visually show you what is in my mind and where I'm at and I want to take you on this journey. So a lot of my inspiration came from mythology, nature, the Botanica, Los Angeles, my practice, my spiritual practice, my ancestors, what I like, where I'm at, just my culture. Like I like to see it as being like an ancient meets modern yeah, love note. <laughs> and it's not your typical, as I said, witch book, because I am not that. I wanted to create something that felt very representative of my culture and 
what I wanted to share with the world, my writing. And so the visual component to that, I was very much inspired by Penny Slinger and her work in the sacred Dakini Oracle. That was a beautiful spirit collaging. It felt raw and magical and powerful. So taking the essence of spirit collaging and putting it in almost like a collection of like memories, both like ancient and futuristic, putting all of those things together in like a stylized concept. That's really what I wanted for my book. And I know it's very different than what anyone else has on the market. So I'm excited to see how people view it. I think it's beautiful. I'm really proud of it. The cover artwork is a real neon sign that was custom made for me by an artist in Los Angeles. Custom made, real neon which is a skill in and of itself. It's mm-hmm. real neon. So most of the neon signs that we see to this day is like LED lights, but she's a real neon maker. Mm-hmm. So that's a big deal for like nerds who love to kind of nerd out on things like that, which I do. So yeah, I really just wanted to have a book that felt dark and light. It felt like feminine and masculine. It felt like magic. Yeah, (laughs) it's sensual. And I think a lot of that does speak to my Venusian, but I have a Scorpio rising. So that is where we see a lot of imagery of like the scorpion, the cycles of life and death and rebirth. You see that as a common theme. We see a lot of serpent imagery. Mm -hmm. I just connect to all of those things. So to me, it feels very much like ancient memory. I'm like pulling from a part of my subconscious and it's very colorful and dark. There's a lot of fun juxtapositions in the book that I think make it come to life. Yeah, it's super sumptuous. It's super fresh. It looks like something that would be at home in like a museum gift shop or a gallery, like as much as it would be in an occult bookshop. It's really, really refined and elevated. And I'm always so excited by people who take, you know, the tropes of witchcraft and move it forward and evolve it. Magic is not this stagnant practice. And yes, it's old, but it's constantly evolving and transforming. And that's one of the many reasons that I'm always excited to see what it is you're making, because it feels like you're really helping us move forward. And I just found it so, so exciting. Can you talk about the process of making the images? Did you photograph a lot of it yourself? Were you working with other photographers? Is it found imagery or some combination? I was working on doing a tarot deck. And I worked with an artist named Paulette. And she was a friend of mine. And I told her from the beginning, I said, I want it to be ancient and futuristic. So we both have similar ancestral background, Mm -hmm. being Mexican and Black. And she knew exactly. I was like, we both just were on the same wave as to the images that we wanted to create. And so a lot of the imagery from the book is from the tarot deck that I was in the middle of making. And unfortunately, she got sick or she was having some personal health matters that she had to step away from the project. And so I was just left with all of these unused images. I knew something needed to be put in the world with this imagery. So a lot of the images were from our collaboration and the rest are personal images, personal photography, 
memories, writing, my family photos. So yeah, a lot of those things were from just my photos and the collaboration that I had with her. I worked with my friend Kat. She took a lot of the images in the cemetery. She's based in Los Angeles, so she went to one of my favorite cemeteries and she shot on film some beautiful images of different scenic views and she went to some botanicas that I loved and she shot images there. So it really just, it feels like me. Mm. And that's one thing I can say and I'm so proud that I painstakingly designed each and every page of this book Mm. and approved every single thing that is in this book. So that is the difference. And I'm like, people can try to rip it off, but you don't have the sauce because it came (laughs) from my brain. Exactly. (laughs) So I was like, there's no designer that you're gonna get to copy it because it came from my brain. But That's the thing I feel so grateful for is like working on a team and like with Harper One, I told them the first thing, because I'm such a visual person, because I want my book to be, as you said, a piece of art. I want it to feel like a piece of art when you have it in your bookshelf. It isn't just, oh, here's a moon and here's the same (laughs) goddess of something. You know, not to say that like there isn't merit in not having a ton of visual imagery. That's just what I like. You know, this is how I want to tell my story. But I think the most pride that I take in this book is my hand in how hands on, how obsessive and how painstakingly detailed I was in the visual component to this book. Yeah. Well, it really comes through. It is so special. It's a truly exquisite, talismanic object in addition to being just a really informative and inspiring read. As we're winding down, Brie, It comes to mind for me also like what a love letter or a love note in your words. This book is to your younger self too. You know, you talk about little Brie like in her Marilyn Manson shirts going to church (laughs) or dancing to the Madonna video for like a prayer reading the pyramid catalog which like i loved that catalog and i completely you forgot know about, about it. the pyramid collection yes oh my God. yes and i totally forgot about it until now for those listening was this in the 90s yes so my cousin was a teen goth and this was like the late 90s and i think it was even like maybe the early to mid 90s yeah really young. And I remember my cousin having these catalogs that would get delivered and they were called Pyramid Collection. Yes. This is long before Instagram, guys, like pre-internet. You had to order your crystals, your cloaks, your (laughs) vampire, your, you know, all of your witchy goods from the catalog. I have to Google and see if it still exists in any form or if we can get like- It does. It still around? Yes, it does. Oh, I'm pretty sure it does. I looked maybe like a couple of years ago when I was writing the section of the book. And you know, it has like the typical ancient Egyptian, like it's just, it's such a hodgepodge yes. of like esoteric or like just- Yeah. New age bric-a-brac. Yeah. You will love it when you see it. You're like, oh my God, what is this? Yes. It's, it's hysterical. I loved it so much and I completely forgot about it. So I was thrilled to be reminded of it. And I also was so delighted by your Rocky Horror Picture Show shout outs because that was like very formative for little Pammy G. See? And you're so right. That whole phrase, don't dream it, be it. Is that what it is? It's going to be my next tattoo. Yes. 
And that really is such a magical phrase to your point. And I feel like you are living proof of it. You're really like manifesting your own dreams by just being who you are, the way you show up in the world as a woman, as a witch, as an artist, and also now through this book. I was just so delighted to read that. And I feel like little Brie and little Pammy G might have, I think maybe we would have been friends or. Oh yeah, we would have been dyeing our hair. And like, I would have definitely <laughs> With manic been panic. like, oh my God, let's get some <laughs> manic panic. And like, I already have a story of that. I need to go in the next book of like trying to bleach my hair at home with a home bleaching kit. My bangs fell off. So no. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. You live and you learn. Well, listen, I know people are going to want to read this book. I know they're going to want to learn more about everything you're doing with The Hood Witch. I can't imagine people aren't aware already, but just in case, what is the best way that people can find out more about you and all of the magic that you're making? Thank you. Everyone can find me on Instagram at The Hood Witch. I know there are so many other The insert name witches out, but I am The Hood Witch and my website is thehoodwitch.com. I'm The Hood Witch everywhere. So I don't use TikTok, but I do have Instagram and that's it. Website and Instagram. Perfect. Perfect. And I know also, Brie, that you have an amazing trip coming up in tourist season of next year in May. Can you give us a little teaser about what that excursion is going to be? Yes, I am going to have a retreat for the Taurus New Moon in May of 2024. I believe there's only one spot left. However, I will be planning another retreat that's going to be full of magic and food and sensual delicious goodness in Oaxaca which will be in October of 2024. And you guys can follow on Instagram where I'm going to keep you updated when the tickets are on sale for that. And I have to say, I know of one person who went on my Greece trip who is going to be at your Costa Rica trip. So I know for a fact that there's one person who's really awesome who's going to be there. And no doubt there are going to be many, many more lucky, lucky travelers with you, Brie. They're so lucky that they get to hang out with you and make beautiful magic together. And I'm so lucky to call you my friend. So Brie Luna, thank you so much for being here. And congratulations again on your beautiful book. Thank you so much, Pam. I love you. And thank you for having me. And thank you all to the supporters and readers from the beginning. And I'm so grateful for all of you and for being on this journey with me. Thank you. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Brie Luna for sharing her glorious, glamorous magic with me. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Please do drop us an email or a voice memo at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the Witchwire. The Witchwave is a phantasmophile production written and produced by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was recorded and edited by Josh Wilcox and or Walter Nordquist and myself. 
Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Our new Witchwave logo was designed by Thunderwing. And special thanks, as always, go to Matt Freeman, Laura Antal, and Cece Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch over at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and do consider giving us lots and lots of sparkly stars and glowing reviews. It really, truly does make a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at WitchWavePod, and you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. My book, Waking the Witch, is available everywhere now, and the witchcraft book I edited and co-authored for Tashin is as well, so thank you for checking those out too. And if you want more Witchwave, or you would just like to support the show, please do join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witchwave. Wave.